You're listening to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about part ones. We've already done that once this year with Spider-Man, and now it's time for the seventh Mission Impossible movie, which is called Dead Reckoning Part One. This is almost 30 years after the first Mission Impossible movie. An interesting fact I saw someone point out, the bad guy of the first Mission Impossible movie is John Voight, who was younger in that movie than Tom Cruise is in this movie, which is kind of a funny thing. Anyway, Pierre and I both saw this, or I watched all the Mission Impossible movies up to this point in anticipation of this. Pierre was already a big fan, so we talk a little bit about our personal experiences with Mission Impossible. We talk a lot about Mission Impossible Fallout, which is, uh, spoilers, both our favorite movies from, from this series. And then, obviously, we talk a lot about Dead Reckoning and what this uh, movie brings to the franchise, um, how it compares to the rest of the franchise, how it is different than Fallout, which comes up a lot. Anyway, it's a very good discussion. We had very different opinions on this movie, which is uh, kind of great, honestly. Like, I love these episodes where me and Pierre do not agree on the movie at all. And so there's your... um, brief little warning about what to expect when there are severe spoilers about this movie um pierre does do a warning it's very obvious you should notice it but uh if you are super worried about spoilers for all parts of this movie then your mission should you choose to accept it is to go and watch mission impossible dead reckoning part one in theaters and come back and listen to us afterwards. listening to classic movies live the pre-recorded show where we talk about franchises we only talk about franchises on this show uh pierre two questions first one keep it brief what's your favorite franchise oh god uh doesn't have to be a movie franchise but it probably should be but it doesn't have to be oh you really hit me i'd say spider-man i guess it's a good franchise good franchise Jeez, yeah uh, second question. Oh, for me, uh, I'd have to say probably Dairy Queen. I think that's a good franchise. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, second question, not counting the most recent installment. Uh, what's your favorite Mission Impossible movie? Oh, that's actually tough. I think four and six are very, very, very good to me in different ways. I think six is probably the better movie overall, though. I think um, I just I think four 
had a lot of I, I like the direction Brad Bird took where the team actually had like everyone had a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot more uh, there was a lot more character driven, I'd say. And uh, it felt more fun. Like a lot of the gadgets were really fun and stuff. Whereas with with six, I think it's just an amazing action blockbuster in of its own. Um, mm-hmm. But as like, but it takes out a lot of the Mission Impossible elements I like, which is like, you know, the the teamwork and the the gadgets and stuff. Because Fallout is basically Tom Cruise versus everyone, and the rest of the team just kind of tags along and does whatever they can, which is not really much, if I'm going to be honest. But the movie I- itself is amazing. I don't even know if I'd fully agree that it's Tom Cruise versus everyone. I think it's Tom Cruise versus Henry Cavill in that movie, like almost exclusively. He's That's that fair, much yeah. of a force. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, yeah, Henry Cavill was, a, my, I think, by far the best villain, except maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman in three that Mission Impossible has had. I didn't, I, I kind of like Solomon Lane, but I think he worked much better in six as kind of a overarch overarching villain rather than like the main villain yeah and uh yeah but henry cavill brought like a lot of presence and fun to to that movie and uh yeah i think that's another reason why it sticks out more than Mm -hmm. rogue nation at least for sure um yeah and honestly i think that might be like it it might it's probably my favorite role i've ever seen henry cavill in and i already like Mm -hmm. him like i i don't i like him in every role he's in but like a lot of the things that he's in are not very good. And that <laughs> yeah. is very, very good. Fallout is so incredible. I was going to say, it's the only movie where he... It was, I think it's the only good movie I've ever... Good anything I've ever seen him in. <laughs> so, Maybe, like, actually. That's a win. <laughs> well, hold yeah, on. The so Man from Uncle was really Cavill. good. It's not I on the same lie. level as Fallout, but it's I not love bad. I that much, personally. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. He was really good in that, too. Uh, yeah. So, I guess... Clearly, you have seen all the Mission Impossible movies up until this no. <laughs> newest one. Oh, you haven't? I haven't. I, I haven't seen one and two. I tried watching two, but I stopped like 10 minutes in because I thought it was awful. Uh, and I've never done... I, there's very few movies I've actually done that with. I can't believe I never went back to watch it. And one I, I just... I, I guess I just never watched. I don't know why. Hmm. I mean... Yeah. Having... So, in preparation for this movie... Uh, originally I said like for dead reckoning, I want to make sure I watch one and then I want to watch fallout. Cause everyone says it's really good. And that'll hopefully give me the context I need. And then I watched one and I'm like, I might as well just watch the rest. So I spent the last week watching all of these movies. And I would say that like, you probably should watch one. Although going back to one after having seen the rest of the movies is going to be very, very strange because one is such a, It's a very earnest 90s spy thriller with like, there is a very big influential action set piece and it's the cornerstone of the movie, but it's also like not a death defying stunt. It's just a very, very cool sequence. How dare Um, they? (laughs) Which like, I mean, it made sense at the time. It's just so strange to like look back at the first one and see this, uh, see see this stunt that where like the reason it's so cool is because like the reason it's so visually cool and um, interesting and part and takes up so much of the movie as it does is because like it happens in complete silence. It's all acrobatics. 
and like the and there's a constant threat of Tom Cruise maybe being seen. And if he's seen, the whole mission is off. But then yeah. like in Dead Reckoning, he uh jumps off the Alps and like parachutes <laughs> into a train with almost no like from from an extremely low altitude and they apparently filmed that scene on the first day of filming just in case someone died and they had to stop yeah so it's like it's a, there's a, a they, they ramp up right yeah <laughs> yeah for sure i uh that's why i i, I am kind of worried about going back because i think i think four really took the franchise into like completely new fresh direction um, what from what I remember, three was really good, but it it still felt kind of generic, and four really felt like it became its own thing. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I, definitely. I don't, know, I don't know how I'd feel going back to one where it's just like kind of, for the most part, just a really solid, uh, spy spy thriller. I'd say it's it's more yeah. of like a thriller than like a, a full on action movie, right? one almost like it would almost be incorrect to describe one as an action movie at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like it's, it's that much of a thriller versus action movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely, I would, um, yeah, I would, I would agree with you on the other things you said too. Fallout is definitely my favorite of those. I think it's got, like, I think it's the strongest movie Henry Cavill's ever been in for one thing. And like, <laughs> Is a, um, that's not saying much but it I might agree. not be saying much but like it is also i say that like in addition to that it's the strongest of the mission impossible movies like it's so good yeah i think well, it's I, just I like say it's it's one of the best action action thrillers of like the decade if not ever if that makes sense yeah like, i can't yeah i, I can't agree. think of any other movies many other movies that are on that level like 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 action movies off the top of my head from this decade, like maybe like Mad Max. And mm-hmm. I actually can't think of another one off the top of my head <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. I think there's a couple others, but it's it's just really well, really well done. Mm-hmm. So And with four, I like four, I think it's I think I've only seen two movies by Brad Bird that have been in live action. And like mm-hmm. um, I think he's only made two in live action. Okay, so but like looking at Ghost Protocol, I was like, man, he's such a good live action director. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, I think that like what Brad Bird really excels at, especially in, and and especially what he brings into that movie is um, he's an extremely visual director. Like if you go back and watch The Incredibles, it's a very visually interesting movie. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great story, but more than that, like everything is just a joy to watch. And I think that he really brings that to ghost protocol. Like the Burj Khalifa sequence is just shot. Awesomely. The cinematography in it is so cool. Like there's a scene where Tom Cruise is running as he does in every movie. And like, it's shot from way up above, but like, it's not, but like the interesting visuals aren't Tom Cruise running. It's like his shadow following something else and a sandstorm coming. And like the way that it's framed is shot. just, yeah. it's, you remember that shot, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. not even just that you remember the scene. It's that, that specific shot. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I'd, so I'd say like Brad Bird and 
the way the way Brad Bird and Chris, Christopher McQuarrie kind of took the franchise, I feel like they're perfect opposites. Like Fallout feels like, oddly enough, it feels like a very like it feels like a very mature, patient, epic movie. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Ghost Protocol is just like a very fun, uh, character oriented, animated. It, I, I'm not literally animated, but like it's a you you feel you feel a. It feels like a roller coaster ride, if that makes sense, right? It reminded me um, a lot of, I want to say, Fast Six, mostly because of mm. the Burj Khalifa, because they also go to that in the <laughs> in, in the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> but like, it reminded me a lot of that because both of those movies, first off, involved the Burj Khalifa, but in both of those movies, like the whole point of space? going, is it sorry? seven? Isn't it seven? It might have been six? seven. I think oh, it might have been seven. Anyway, yeah. like. That's in both of those movies, like the whole point of going there is to shoot this really it is because it's such a visually cool area and they make that the centerpiece of the movie. And both of those movies are just like a bunch of funny stuff happening uh, because it's a big fun action movie where they're throwing yeah. everything to the wall. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I think it really works really well. I, I really, Part of me really wishes I got to see more Brad Bird's vision for the franchise. But I mean, again, like we got Fallout as well. So it's like really mm-hmm. tough to complain like either way. And Rogue Nation, Rogue Nation's really good too. I, I don't want to discount it. I just think um, Fallout and Ghost Protocol are kind of like, like just kind of slightly on another level. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways. Um, but I also think Rogue Nation's an amazing movie too. So, yeah. But here we are. Uh, we're at the seventh Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. I don't really know what Dead Reckoning actually means in the movie. Actually, a lot of the a lot of the titles I don't always think make sense. I think Ghost Protocol was like, is it, isn't it because the IMF disavolves and then they have to become ghosts? Is that it? I think so. Because like the president has initiated, uh, at the very end of 3, there's like a stinger right at the end where Tom Cruise gets a phone call and it's like, and they say the president has initiated ghost protocol. And then in the next movie, they talk about how the IMF is like no longer an official arm of the U S government or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I guess maybe they do make more sense. I don't, I still know what dead reckoning means. They mentioned it a few times, but I don't remember what they said it it meant. Something to do with the sub or like where the sub is uh, that they're trying to find, I think. Something like that. Um, Yeah. Anyways, do you you want to tell us a bit about Dead Reckoning Part 1 directed by Christopher McQuarrie starring Tom Cruise? So in this movie, this, this movie is cool for a lot of reasons, but it starts by introducing, it starts on a submarine that gets torpedoed by a different submarine that may or may not even be there like it's kind of interesting because the very initial conflict they're trying to fight an invisible submarine and the submarine and like it turns their torpedo around on them and the submarine everyone dies in the submarine but this submarine was holding an ai that is like i i robot levels of ai like it could control the world or something it's a very powerful ai the um the AI is controlled from a room that has a two-part key to get into. And the two-part key 
looks like the cross. Part of that key is discovered by the MI6 agent played by Rebecca Ferguson. Isla, what's her name? Um, Ilsa. Ilsa Faust. Ilsa Faust. It's discovered by her and the U.S. government discovers that she discovered it and has an idea of where the second part of the key is. So they go to Tom Cruise and say, uh, get the key for us, buddy. And then he has to go get the key. But uh, he doesn't know what it opens. The U.S. government doesn't know what it opens. Only the audience knows what this key goes to. And the only other person that knows who it goes to is a bad guy working for the AI. So Tom Cruise has to keep the bad guy who's working from the AI for the AI from getting this key, which uh, I guess because the key is the only way to destroy the AI, which is trying to take over the world. I think I think that's basically Something. it. Yeah. And the guy working for the yeah. AI also has a past with Tom Cruise. Yeah. He which may I or may not was be the part reason. of one, but I guess he wasn't in one. No, that was before one. So uh, the first Mission Impossible is a sequel to the sequel series in, from 1988. There's the 1960s Mission Impossible, and then there was a sequel series in the 80s. And the scene that they talk about in this would have happened in, I believe, 1989 in universe. And Mission Impossible 1 takes place in 1996. The scene, the, the flashback sequence from this is supposedly like the thing that led Tom Cruise's character to joining the impossible mission force. Makes sense. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> it I makes mean, as much I, sense as it needs to. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so, so yeah, what do you what do you think of the movie, Jeff? I loved it. I think this movie like I I definitely after watching it, I don't think it was as strong as Rogue Nation. But it was like pretty close. I think Christopher McQuarrie is a really, really good director for these movies. And I think that he, um, I think this movie is, uh, it does, it does some cool things with Mission Impossible that weren't done before. Like this movie's very funny in addition to being extremely sick. Mm -hmm. uh, Shea Wiggum is in this movie and he's amazing. Like what, what an incredible addition to the cast. Actually, We'll talk about it later, I'm sure. But, like, every new cast member in this movie is awesome. I'm so glad they got the people they did. What did uh, what, what did you think? I'm sorry, Jeff. <laughs> I did not like this movie. Oh, no! Like, like at all. I, I actually think this was, like, one of the worst movies I've seen this year. <laughs> oh, wow! Yeah. Uh, is... That's kind of cool, though. I actually did not know what you, your thoughts were, so I was really excited to see what you thought. And then I'm just realizing now that you really loved it, and I'm sorry. But yeah, I I was really bored throughout the whole thing. I thought this is the worst movie I've seen from the Mission Impossible franchise. Damn, and uh, you saw three. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's. I was I was very. I think part it's partly just because I I have such high expectations for the franchise maybe yeah <laughs> so i i don't know dude it's like and then even comparing it to other movies this summer like some of these like the flash for example like was not a good movie but at least it was so bad that like it was kind of interesting 
I like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning was was a very like decently done movie. It's just it was so mediocre. Like nothing stuck out to me. Nothing. None of the characters were interesting. I was I just kind of glazed over the whole time and nothing. I think the only part that made me laugh that made me actually like I, I'll remember was when Shea Wiggum uh, tasers the two guys at the club for no reason and walks in. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I kind of wish that actually meant anything for the movie, but he just kind of tastes two guys and walks in. I don't know, but yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a very boring movie, very mediocre, oh, damn. which I think is like the worst thing you can do as a movie. Especially so, yeah. when this movie was like wall to wall action, because they basically go from action set piece to action set piece and like barely stop in between. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I think that was one of the issues for me is just none of the set pieces were memorable at all. Like, like I like obviously you know this is an action blockbuster, and uh, for a movie like this, it's not really about the characters. It's like it's about like it's basically like this is what I learned from watching Indiana Jones. It's just like you really in these types of movies you want to give as minimal exposition as possible just to set up the next action set piece right mm-hmm. um but this movie just felt like tons of exposition about this ai that made no sense because they're basically fighting against this presence that doesn't exist but is represented by gabriel who we don't who apparently has a past with ethan but it's very it's not really referenced it's like they kind of added it in in rewrites like afterwards because they realized it's just this guy just really has nothing, no real reason to be here. And so there's a lot of AI exposition and there was a lot of buildup for scenes that never really led anywhere. And it was so confusing to me. Like, for example, you have the airport scene where there's like 10 minutes of uh, like the Shea Wiggum and like, I don't know, the CIA are at the airport looking for Ethan. And there's like, there's like 20 of them searching the airport and then Ethan is chasing, trying to, chase the guy who has the key and then Haley Atwell comes in and she steals the key. And then there's just like, and then also at the same time you have uh, Benji figuring out the bomb that the AI planted that was supposed to go on the plane. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's like so many different layers of tension building up. Right. And then the way they unravel the scene is that Tom Cruise just kind of walks away from the FBI Haley Atwell gets away on a plane with no muss, no fuss. Um, the bomb is the bomb was empty. And then Tom Cruise just kind of there's this really cool shot where he gets on top of the airport and runs for the plane. And I was like, oh, here we go. Here's the running sequence. He's gonna run. He's gonna run and jump onto the plane or something. <laughs> and then sneak in and then catch Haley Atwell. And then they just cut. They cut from him running on top and like the climax to me of that action set piece. And then they cut to Rome and nothing happens. It was all this tension build up for nothing. And they mm. do the same thing at the club scene where there's like a Mexican stand. I don't know if that's like a proper term anymore. <laughs> there's like a Mexican standoff of like Tom Cruise's team, uh, Gabriel and his, his mercenaries. And uh, what's, what's um Vanessa so Kirby, Vanessa Kirby and her though. team, right? Yeah, I can't remember her name either. But so and and Haley Atwell, who's kind of like, I'd say she's like the she's kind of like the Henry Cavill of this movie, where she's like 
the person that's like stirring stuff up, you know? Um, and so there's like four in parties with different interests there and they're all in the room facing off and it's kind of tense, but then there's like a ton of just expositional dialogue about AI. And I'm just like, okay, like this is kind of weird. And then it went on for like 10 minutes and then you're like, okay, so this is, this is good because they're in a club. There's going to be a club action scene because club club scenes are always good in these action movies. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Gabriel, he basically says, if you don't do that, he goes to Vanessa Kirby. And he's like, if you don't do, if you kill me or if you try to fuck with me, you're going to die. The AI is going to kill you. It's calculated this. And then he just walks away. And Tom Cruise is like, Vanessa Kirby, if you let him get away, everyone in the world is going to die. And in any other Mission Impossible movie, it'd be like Gabriel walks away and then Vanessa Kirby's goons blocks Tom Cruise. And then Tom Cruise is like, starts punching his way out. And then he starts chasing Gabriel. But in this movie, Gabriel just walks away like the guy that is threatening the end of the world. And Tom Cruise is just standing there between two thugs like, oh, like, don't let him get away. <laughs> I was like, what? How How do you have this standoff between like all the invested parties in this movie? One just walks away. One guy and then Haley Atwell kind of walks away. And then Tom Cruise just kind of stands there and then he slowly walks away. And then it kind of leads to like some really boring action scene like like five minutes later because Haley Atwell is being threatened or whatever. But it's like, no, that, that fight scene has to happen at the club. It has to happen between all these guys. And then you have the MacGuffin of the key just kind of flying around and everyone trying to chase it. But it just oh, slowly good. like it slowly dissipated into nothing. And right before Gabriel leaves that scene, too, they set up that the club itself is sentient. Like, kind of, because the club is the AI. The AI is, like, controlling the club at that moment. So, like, it would have been an incredibly cool scene to have all of this stuff happen at the club where the club itself is a character. I don't even know how you would do that, but, like, it would have been sick. There's some really cool stuff you can... That was actually kind of an interesting twist where, like, the AI was there with them, you know? Like, I, I kind of like the idea of this godly presence that, you know, Gabriel is... I mean, there's a lot of Christ metaphors, but you could say, like, Gabriel is, like, Jesus to to the AI's God, you know? And he, he is only here to to represent his his master, basically. Or, and I just... I didn't understand why... Like, it's like they kept doing that with the action scenes and the ai stuff so, just sorry just can I very... really quick oh sorry uh, gabriel in christian mythology is an archangel who is the messenger of god and a herald of visions oh, there you so go. it's like it's very intentional uh symbolism yeah well now i realize <laughs> thank you that actually helps a lot that's actually an interesting but yeah they never play with the ai stuff they're just like the ai knows everything but then like they don't really do much with that and everything we got from the AI was just kind of, it's like, it's like all the, all the really generic AI stereotypes that we've seen from movies for like, from 10 years ago. You know, it's like, we have to think logically, what is the AI, everything the AI knows, everything we know the AI knows, and it's one step ahead of us. It's calculated all the possibilities. And it's just like, okay, like, I've seen this in so many movies before, and then they don't do anything interesting with it. So you, you can you can disagree with me too. I won't be offended. No, like, I, I would love to see why, because I genuinely don't understand uh, 
a lot of the I like it's a well done movie, but um, yeah. Yeah, I um, I mean, I mostly liked the action sequences in this, and I thought that a lot of the character interactions were really good. Uh, we haven't mm. talked at all about almost anything that happened in Rome, which I mm. think Rome had like an incredibly good car chase sequence mm. uh, with which, which had. I, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of action scenes in this that aren't that maybe aren't built up story-wise as much as they could be, but have like interesting gimmicks that make them into, in my opinion, like really interesting or like really memorable action scenes. Like Mm -hmm. the, uh, the airport scene that you mentioned earlier, I thought that was really cool. Um, I thought that was a really cool sequence because, because of all the stuff happening, even though it all kind of fizzles out at the end, like every single thing in that whole sequence is kind of a red herring. It's mm. still pretty tense the whole time because you have uh, Simon Pegg trying to disarm a nuclear bomb while at the same time, just like not telling his boss about it, just being like, no, no, everything's cool. Uh, you have Tom Cruise following Haley Atwell around and them like trying to, them both kind of being at odds, but at the same time, sort of being required to work together, which is used better in a different scene that I'll talk about. Uh, And then Shea Wiggum trying to find Tom Cruise, knowing exactly what Tom Cruise looks like, having a team that is actively able to find Tom Cruise, but because of Luther uh, hacking into the, um, hacking into the cameras is completely like keeps going and finding the wrong person and like knows that Tom Cruise is constantly wearing masks. So he's like, just assaulting all of these people and trying to tear off their faces, which like, I think all of those things together end up being like a really, a really fun kind of tense early action scene, um, which I mean, just kind of works for me. And I think what, what works for me most about the action scenes in this that I do really like the, the club scene is a little bit of a letdown, like you said, but um, the action scenes that work for me in this, they all have, they all have interesting gimmicks that make them particularly memorable. Like the main one I wanted to talk about was the car chase in Rome, where the entire time uh, Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise are handcuffed and have to do a high speed car chase through Rome. But Haley Atwell's not that good of a driver. So, but they're handcuffed to the wrong hands. So they're handcuffed and like he's driving with his non-dominant hand, uh, while having his arm crossed, like, well, you can't see, but like having arms crossed with Haley Atwell because they're uh, tied together on the wrong, on the wrong sides. Um, so like, I think that the, the thing, um, and I mean, like you, you kind of notice it in the marketing for this movie too, because the trailer really plays up a giant motorcycle jump that happens late into the movie. And like, to me, a lot of the action sequences in this movie are just, extremely gimmicky and you know knowledge they know they're gimmicky but they use those gimmicks really well so like this movie ends up having a lot of um just fun action sequences that are doing interesting things like whoever the fight choreographer is on this or the or the stunt choreographer is like the mvp of this movie for sure Mm. um yeah sorry go ahead oh no no you you finish your thought Oh, I was just gonna say uh, I'll, I'll I'll move on to this in a in a minute because it's um it's like kind of sidestepping something else. I did also really like the additions 
uh, the character, the, the additions to the cast and the characters of those. Um, and I'll talk about that in a minute because that's a uh, different thing. So sorry, go, go on and go on, go on your thought. Oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I was going to say the Rome, the Rome sequence. There, there was some kind of cool stuff there. I thought I, I was really, there was a lot of potential. I thought in the Haley Atwell, Tom Cruise, I think they had a lot of chemistry at the airport. Um, I don't, the, the Rome sequence was cool. I think it was a little long. I don't know. There's just something off about it to me. I can't tell why. Cause you're right. The handcuff stuff was actually really interesting and funny. I think it just might've been, that's kind of when Haley Atwell's character just wasn't really doing it for me. Um, anymore. And I, I don't know. How, how did you feel about, how did you feel about Grace? Grace is Haley Atwell's character, right? Perfect. This is actually the next thing that I wrote down to talk about. I thought she was so. Um, oh man! So the we talked about across the Spider Verse earlier this year, and um, that movie. I remember a particular complaint. Uh, please let me know if I'm misrepresenting your thoughts. But a particular complaint you kind of had about it was like that it. It, that it was a part one and so like mm -hmm. it doesn't finish off a lot of the storylines like it doesn't it doesn't come to a conclusion really and I think in this movie nowhere did I feel that more than in Haley Atwell's character like she has character growth in this but she has like part one of a character arc more so than anyone else oh, yeah. in this movie because I think that there's a lot of potential there. I think that she's introduced as a really interesting character. And I think that, I, I think it is actually the Rome scene where she is just kind of like, I don't want to say forgotten about, but where she's, she's not doing as much in that Rome sequence, even though she's there the whole time. Because like, I mean, part of the conceit of that sequence is that Haley Atwell is not as good a, a driver as Tom Cruise. So mm. like, um, she ends up being very passive in that sequence, which again is fine for that sequence. It's part of the point, but because that sequence is so long and she's so passive in it for so long, she kind of just disappears from the movie, even though she's still in it the whole time. So like, I feel like over the course of the movie, there's long stretches that she's not in and the parts that she is in aren't quite enough to be like a full character. And so I feel like we're going to get a lot more of her in part two, obviously. She's a main character. But, like, I would just say that, you know, I felt like I felt like Tom Cruise had a complete arc in this. I feel like, as, as much as anyone has a complete arc in this movie, I felt like um, Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames had their normal Mission Impossible roles. Like, they didn't have to do much character development because that's not really what their characters are. But they had enough, I guess. Um, like, everyone had the appropriate amount of character development for the most part, except Haley Atwell. And maybe not everyone, actually. But I feel like she kind of got the most underserved by this, by the fact that this is a part one. Yeah, I, I could see that because it definitely feels like her her movie in a lot of ways. I I just I I was really I was honestly really surprised because I I love Haley Owl and everything I've seen her in so far. I, I haven't seen her in much, but I loved her in uh Captain America the first one. Like I think she's one of the best parts of that movie. Uh I loved her. I mean, I even loved her like 
little scene and uh as captain carter you know and i that yeah. made me that's why i was really excited for this movie because i was like i'm really i think she's she's built to be an action hero like like she mm-hmm. has it in her you know and this i, I just i think they really butchered her character i think they really messed up and i it kind of makes sense in some ways because i was i read this quote where christopher mccarty was saying that grace Haley atwell's character is a character unlike any other we see in a mission it's like she doesn't belong in a mission impossible movie that was their goal right mm-hmm. uh and i think they did that a little too well because <laughs> <laughs> she she really like like you said she i think what i liked her a lot in the first scene because she was very mysterious and i think she she had a very flirty chemistry with tom cruise that i liked and um I was just like, okay, I'm really interested to see where this character goes, right? But the farther the movie goes along, we start to realize Grace really has no skills other than being a pickpocket. <laughs> like that's that's her only thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe in a movie like like a different movie where, like for example, in Mission Impossible Four, there's a scene where, like, that when they're making the trade off with the diamonds and the plans for the 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 missile, the the nukes, right? Yeah, that could have that's a very good scene to have a pickpocket in, and that would have had a lot of interesting uh, dilemmas, you know, and she would have been a great use in that scene. But this movie was mm-hmm. not structured for her character at all, because we have the first scene where she just kind of accidentally. No, she doesn't accidentally. She was hired by the AI or by by Vanessa Kirby, who was hired by the AI or something. I don't I don't even know. <laughs> but she ends up she ends up in the plot. And she doesn't really want to be there. And then she just kind of does nothing for the rest of the movie. Like, I guess she dresses up as Vanessa Kirby. But even in that scene, I don't even know what the point of that scene was. And the end where... well, the thing about that scene is like, in the end, the, the scene where she's dressing up as Vanessa Kirby, like it's supposed to be Tom Cruise dressing up as Vanessa Kirby's brother and her dressing up as Vanessa Kirby. So they can like infiltrate a, um, a handoff to get the other half yeah. of the key. And um, that's built up like what I think Haley Haley Atwell's character is really written for in this movie, which is more of a spy intrigue, like disguise thing. Like afterwards, you know, afterwards they leave. Vanessa Kirby comes in and goes, "All right, I'm ready for the handoff." And the contact goes, "Well, hold on, I just gave you the key." And then they go, "Oh no, the meddling kids or whatever." Um, <laughs> and like that's what that scene is built up for, and what. Haley Atwell is, would be would be really good in and I think does her job really well in that scene. But the thing is, in the context of this movie, because of the way that the Mission Impossible movies are structured, that scene isn't isn't played out like a spy thriller. That mm-hmm. scene is played out like a giant action set piece, which Tom mm-hmm. Cruise does great in because he has to jump off the Alps and parachute oh, into a train. <laughs> yeah. But like where that scene, the way that scene would be built up or was kind of built up and where Haley Atwell really does, but like really would shine more is if that scene is allowed to play out like that spy thriller. Like she's very good for the spy thriller elements of Mission Impossible, Mm -hmm. but those elements have been heavily, heavily reduced ever since Mission Impossible 2. Yeah, that's fair. I, well, yeah, I, I, I think... If if they structured the movie more around that that type of stuff, you're right. It, it would have played better. Maybe they will in part two, 
Um, I just, I don't want to see more of her character and be honest. They basically, it just felt so, because I actually, I, one of the things I love about Mission Impossible is I, I think they've written great, they've been very progressive by writing great female uh, action heroes in this, you know? And mm-hmm. there was, there was a great example of that. I thought Pom Clementia, by far, by far the best part of this movie, in my opinion. She oh yeah, she steals the show. Presence, but she was so good. She was manic. She was insane. Um, and you never see you. You never get to see women played like that, you know. She was just a thug, and I love I that. Think like, and I never see that. I never see women characters like that. And I think I want to see more of that. So, I mean, forgive me if I'm being hyperbolic, but like the same way that Henry Cavill's best role ever is in a Mission Impossible movie, <laughs> I think Pom Clementiev's best role mm-hmm. ever is in a Mission Impossible movie. Like, yeah, for sure. This is she's so so good in this movie. Yeah. And, and like, she's almost, I, mean, I think she says one thing the entire time. She has like one line. Yeah. It's mostly in French too. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't talk that much. Um, yeah. Like that's, it's such a physical role and I've only seen her as Mantis in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, but this was the op- complete opposite of that role and she crushed it and she's great as Mantis too. She's amazing as Mantis. And I just, I was drooling. I was like, I need more of her. But then meanwhile, we were getting Grace, who was the epitome of, in my opinion, poorly written female character. This is like, this is like, she's the type of female, like, action star you'd get from like the 70s, where it's just, she's just following Tom Cruise around. And Tom Cruise is just kind of telling her what to do. And he's saving her for no reason. And she's, she's just playing along. And she doesn't really have any qualities that are, she kind of reminded me of Phoebe, Actually, this and Indiana Jones are very similar. I'd say where they were both they they were both very <laughs> they're both starring very old action heroes, <laughs> and, and then they are uh, they encounter a, a a conniving female co star that continuously screws them over for the whole movie, and and then the male action star has to like save them from that situation essentially, and mm-hmm. it's like that is not. Like that is not a very progressive way of writing. That's a very poorly written character. Like in general, it's like Tom. There was no reason for Tom. There was a scene where, where Gabriel's like, the AI has calculated that's gonna make you pick between Ilsa Faust, the person that you've spent the last ten years with and is the love of your life, <laughs> or Grace, this chick you met yesterday and you kind of have some flirty chemistry with. <laughs> He's going to make you choose, Ethan. And Ethan's like, I will let them both die. Never. <laughs> and it was just like, like, I get like, obviously, Ethan's never going to be like, oh, yeah, like Grace died. Like, I, I just met her yesterday. But it's just like, why is this movie playing the emotional stakes equally between these two female characters? It's basically like inherently saying these two women have the same value to him just because they're both women <laughs> and that's all Ethan sees them as and he has to save them despite him having literally years of experience and and it's his love interest in this movie Rebecca Ferguson mm-hmm. um and that was just that was that was just like it, they, they really treated like bringing Haley Atwell in and writing Ilsa Faust out they really felt like they were treating women as very disposable in the franchise by mm-hmm. saying like here's a character this probably one of my i love like 
I, I don't really care about the characters that much in Mission Impossible. It's not like a character-based franchise. I thought she was an amazing addition in five. Like she stole that. That was her movie too. She stole that movie. And so to have her written out like this and just replaced as a love interest so quickly was honestly like very, very gross to me. Like it, it just kicked me out. And I think like one thing that Ilsa Faust really brings to this, uh, to this series is you're right. This isn't really a character based franchise, but it heavily benefits from having like a recurring cast because like Ilsa Faust, um, the last couple of movies, she's definitely been a main character in each of them, but she never feels like, like when she came into fallout, like when, when, when her first scene happened in mission impossible fallout, it felt like, Oh, I know that character. Like she's in this movie too. It didn't feel like, it didn't feel like going into that movie. I guess I went into it not having seen too much of the, and not having seen too much of anything around it because I didn't see it in theaters. But like going into that movie, I'm just sort of like, I'm I'm expecting like a Tom Cruise Henry Cavill movie, and there's like this recurring cast from the rest of the show, and that's like a really inter- that's like a really cool, um, it's a really cool way of like having these characters that Mission Impossible is Mission Impossible is almost uniquely positioned to do in the modern franchise landscape. Like Marvel obviously has recurring characters as does Fast and the Furious, but like in a Marvel movie, you're either seeing like the recurring characters are either well telegraphed in advance or like cameo appearances and kind of the same in Fast and the Furious, except that in Fast and the Furious, the recurring characters, it's, it's usually literally all of the characters in every single movie. So in Mission Impossible, like even though Rebecca Ferguson has been consistently in the last three, it always feels like, and special guest Rebecca Ferguson, but in like a good way, not that she, like she's, she comes into those movies and she really steals the show. Like the bathroom scene in, in fallout, like that was as much her scene as it was mission, as it was Tom missions and Henry Cavill's. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, no, she she was a great presence. I I literally felt like so warm when she like came back, like because she, I don't know if it was a spoiler, but she fakes her death at the start of the movie for some reason. I don't even know why they did that. That was such a weird cop out. Um, and then she comes back in Rome for like a couple scenes, and I, I was gonna say spoiler, spoilers past, uh, past this point of. In case you don't want to hear spoilers, I didn't like this movie. <laughs> and Jeff did, so I guess make up your own mind whether you want to watch it. <laughs> um, like, uh, and then she she has like five lines, I want to say, and then they and then they kill her off, and it was a terrible way to kill her. It was a really boring, badly shot action scene, in my opinion. She kind of dies silently, and. Ethan mourns her for like three seconds. <laughs> we get the one scene of Ethan like it's like they were like, "Wait, Tom Cruise!" Like you, you seem a little too excited to move on from your last love interest to Haley Atwell. So let's have a three second scene of you standing on a balcony, and let's make it look like you're thinking about like all the good times you shared with Rebecca Ferguson, and then it's- and then in the next scene, it was totally fine. Like. <laughs> It's a real shame that like 
she died in the way she did for all the reasons you said, but also like her final scene ends up not even really being about her because that scene is, that's the Tom Cruise running scene because he runs through all of Venice, which is an interesting idea, I guess, but Venice, the way they shoot it is not that interesting a place. Uh, like it's, it's not that visually, the way that they shoot Venice in this scene, the back alleys of Venice are not as visually cool as they should be for a Tom Cruise running through a city scene. But like that scene ends up being to me in my head, much more about the fight between like the, the final fight, not the final fight, the big fight between Tom Cruise and Palm Clementiev more than it's about Rebecca Ferguson, which is a shame because like Rebecca Ferguson's final scene should probably be about Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. Although, you know, again, the fight scene with Palm Clementiev is a highlight of the movie. It's so good because it's Palm Clementiev and she's a highlight of this movie. Unfortunately, I missed that scene. (laughs) I was in the washroom. I was. I remember I was watching the the running scene. I was just kind of standing there, and I was like, "Okay, maybe I'll like leave after this." And it just wasn't leading anywhere. I was. I'm bored. I'm gonna go piss. Like, oh, it's a shame um, because like yeah. the running scene. Watching the running scene is like the boring action sequence of this movie. Mm. But then just <laughs> yeah. halfway through, he starts fighting with Pom Clementiev, and it's a highlight of the whole scene. Yeah. It's a highlight awesome. of the whole movie. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, if you can't make Tom Cruise running in a Mission Impossible movie the most amazing thing ever, then I think you've lost me as an audience member. Because those are still like my favorite scenes from four and six. I don't know, but did he run in five? I know he, he definitely did, ran in all of them. I don't remember but like, what the running scene was, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't remember for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I that that was like one of the big, like, I remember thinking at the start they faked out Ilsa Faust's death, and I was like, "Oh, that really sucks!" Like, like I loved her character, and then she came back. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like she's back, and then they killed her. Like it felt like the Flash really like brought Batman. They brought Batman back for like this is a Flash spoiler, but Batman dies, and then he comes back five minutes later, and then he dies again. <laughs> it's just like, well, that was that's great. Like, well, kind of but you'll remember that. also in the Flash that after dying the second time. Batman died yet again. So it's possible that in Dead Reckoning Part 2, we might get Ilsa Faust dying a third time. Yeah. Well, there's. I was reading some theories that she might, or some people are theorizing she might be alive. And if she is, I I guess that'd be nice. But I I just, she really did nothing. And like, I really don't know why. Like they've had, they've had, because I heard she might have scheduling conflicts because she has like an Apple TV Plus show. Right now, that's just got renewed, so she might be busy with that. I think she's in a she was filming for Dune or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she might have been busy, and that's why she wasn't in this movie that much. But just like say she's gone somewhere, like you don't have to kill. Like why ruin this character that you've been building up for like the past six years and so unceremoniously because of scheduling conflicts? Just like Jeremy Renner hasn't been in the last two movies, and no one's like, is he okay? Like. Yeah, like no one's like you had to kill Jeremy Renner to say why he's not in these movies. There, there's people just it's Mission Impossible. No one's like following the character arcs for these things, you know. Well, and what's especially cool about Ilsa Faust in those previous movies, she always feels like she has her own thing going on because she always does. Yeah. Like we're always she even when she's in those movies and is a major force of those movies, we don't get the whole story from her side. She actually has her own thing going on, and this happens to coincide with Ethan's mm-hmm. mission for 
long enough that she ends up being a main character in the movie. Yeah. But like, you know, if she, if her exit from this, if, if like at the end of this movie, she went and did something else, it would feel totally in character. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that would have totally been fine. That's, that's why I love like, like she feels like she's, she has her own like movie franchise, like in a parallel universe and that Ethan guest stars in her franchise. Cause she's like, she's, yeah. she's Ethan. She's as good as Ethan, you know? Yeah. If not better in some ways. So it's just, yeah, I don't know. It, it really, I think it really just highlights to me how, how like how the like that the death scene didn't hit like the only thing that really made me feel anything was seeing sam and peg actually like looking sad in the next scene mm-hmm. um for like half a second because you know you can see him he's like his head's buried in his hands and that really hit me because it's just like you don't really see him and ilsa talk that much directly but like they they shared a lot of experiences together you know like and that was the only scene that actually made me feel anything about her death like mm-hmm. I didn't feel anything from Tom Cruise, um, or or Ving Rhames. Ving, honestly, everyone just looks kind of tired too. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I feel like Simon Pegg's. He's like, like we saw him in four when he's like this like bright young lad and he's just freaking out at everything. And then he's like 20 years later, his hair is all gray. <laughs> he's just he's still freaking out about the same things. Like mm-hmm. he looks kind of Ving Rhames looks kind of tired. Like I don't even where was he in the third act. Was there any reason for him not being there? What was he doing in the third? I don't fully Because we had Simon Pegg in the car. And yeah. that was like his role, which kind of sucked because I would have liked to see him as some part of the final action sequence. But it was like, like Ving Rangs disappears and Simon Pegg's just kind of in a car for some reason. And that was it. Like, like what yeah, happened? There was no team in this. I don't understand why they, they... It was basically Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell. But mm-hmm. Haley Atwell was definitely not good enough to um, replace the team. And now she's part of the team, which is great. And I have no idea why, like, <laughs> the director, well, the IMF guy is like... No, she's like, you'd have a question for me whether I accept or decline or something. And it's like, what are you good at? Like, <laughs> you didn't do anything this movie. Why, why are you, like, why would the the Mission Impossible Force recruit someone that can only pick pockets? And it's even, like, it's even solid, or it's even clarified that Tom Cruise can pick pocket people, too. He's quick with his hands, because he does it to Gabriel in the last scene with the key and the lighter. Right. So I was like, she has no special skill. She has no use. Why is she being invited to this team? I don't, because she's a woman. And like their woman character died, <laughs> so they need another one. No, she's one? being invited to the team because her options are uh, her options are that her life is over or she submits to the IMF forever or something. Which is just also depressing. <laughs> this feels like Tom Cruise is like it's like the Scientology thing where it's like, either you date me or your life will be in danger. So that's what the imf is a metaphor <laughs> but yeah it was uh i don't know dude like yeah i don't know what else i could say so um i think like one thing that you said earlier and i think we've talked about Haley atwell enough that like probably there's not too much more to say about her but you mentioned i don't remember exactly what you said earlier but you made a comparison to henry cavill um and like 
I guess my what I what I wrote down here is: Do you think that the Henry Cavill in Fallout character was more like the equivalent character in this movie was more Isai Morales, like Gabriel or Haley Atwell? Because I kind of think there's elements of him in both, but he crystallizes that so well. Yeah, well, I it's definitely like because Henry Cavill was. He was kind of, I'd say he was like the muscle, like Gabriel, but then also he, uh, um, he was unpredictable. You, you weren't entirely sure if he was the bad guy completely until the very end, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, that is kind of like Kaylee Atwell. You weren't, I mean, I I always felt like she was a good guy, but I, I could tell the movie was trying to play her in the role of, is she gonna, is she gonna stay? Is she gonna leave? Like, there was that really bad scene where they were like transferring a hundred million dollars over a phone, like an e-transfer and she has to be like, accept. And, uh, it was just, and then they were like, is she going to decline or accept? Is she going to betray Ethan or not? And then she declined it. And I was like, okay, like, I guess, I guess she's a good guy now because she declined anyways. So, but yeah, that that's what they were doing. I just think both characters didn't also like like Haley Atwell never was unpredictable, and Gabriel never was menacing in any way. I don't know why he was the main. We never really we see him kill Ilsa, but like the last scene with Ethan, Ethan like beats the shit out of him. Like it wasn't even close. Like that wasn't. I thought him being Ethan's mentor, it's, it was supposed to be like he taught Ethan everything he knows. And everything Ethan tries to do, he just knows how to counter it. But no, he just kind of goes down pretty quickly on top of the train. Gabriel's such a weird character in this because I feel like we're given basically nothing. Like, Isai Morales is, I guess, a menacing enough presence visually on the, on the screen. But, like, um, Gabriel, the first time we actually physically see Gabriel in the same room as Ethan, he immediately disappears which is so weird because I thought like, I was like, oh, is Gabriel actually just like, is he like an, is he like a vision that the AI is giving? Like, can like the AI, the glasses, has, right, or something? exactly. Like, is he, is yeah. he a vision through the glasses? Like he wasn't actually there, but the AI is like messing with Ethan. And then the next time we see him, he like is in a room, not with Ethan. And he like stabs a guy. I'm like, oh, okay. So I guess he's a real physical person which was a little bit of a shame in that scene because right up until then, he's like saying stuff about this guy that no one should know. He's saying like very private details about him. And so I thought that Gabriel was actually just like a thing that the AI would use to mess with people, but wasn't actually like a physical human being. And it turned out he was. So, you know, um, not quite as interesting, but then beyond that, like we're given basically nothing about his past. Like, we're given that he is, uh, he has some relationship to Ethan, and that's basically it. Like you said, mentor. I don't know if that's even confirmed. Like that's what it seems like. But like, yeah, may- maybe it's not even that. It's it's vague enough that it could be just about anything. And, it was very, um, it was very weird how much they were building him up as like the ultimate like because the, these are supposedly like the last potentially the last two movies um but like yeah no backstory was really given other than those weird oddly sh- odd flashback scenes that like it's like 
Because again, I thought that was a scene that happened in an earlier movie. That's what it felt like they were shooting it as because there was no other context for it. Mm-hmm. And we don't get anything other than that. It's not in another movie. So you're just kind of left confused as like, okay, so he, at one point in the distant past, he killed someone Ethan loved that we don't know. And this is apparently supposed to make us feel like uh, the ultimate villain <laughs> to Ethan. He actually reminded me it didn't click for me until you said that he was Ethan's mentor. And it actually reminds me a little bit of the villain of mission impossible two. And like mission impossible two, uh, I would say is not the worst mission impossible movie, but I would say it's the second worst. Uh, Wait, but like, mission impossible two isn't, which is the worst one for you? I don't like three. I think three oh, is wow, so okay. visually uninteresting and it's a shame because I really like Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. But I think that the rest of the movie is... I think the movie is so hard to watch because I just hate J.J. Abrams' style as a director. That's fair. There Um, was a lot of lens flares in that movie. (laughs) And, like, I feel like it... I I won't sidetrack too much on it. But to me, it looks like a Michael Bay movie. But without Mm. the things that Michael Bay is able to do to make his movies look so interesting and unique. Like, Transformers is actually a visually pretty cool movie, even if it's not, like, great because of the way that Michael Bay shoots it and his specific directorial style. And J.J. Abrams does a lot of the same things, but not as well. Like Michael Bay has shot lengths that are in the, on the order of like two seconds at the longest. And J.J. Abrams goes like two and a half. He takes it just a little bit too long. (laughs) You can't even be better than Michael Bay. (laughs) Um, But like, Oh, in Mission Impossible 2, the villain that they set up is what's kind of interesting is when Ethan is doing something like in some of the Mission Impossible movies, like they did it in this one, too. When they're explaining the plan, they show they show the plan in action so that like the explanation of the plan and the plan are kind of happening simultaneously the way they would do it in an Oceans movie. Um and that, and like they do that in two as well. But the person who's explaining Ethan's plan in two is the bad guy every time. So it's like so the way what they're getting across with that is that the bad guy is literally always exactly one step ahead of Ethan, which is yeah. I think it's a really interesting way to do it. I don't think it fully works, but like mm. the way they build up that bad guy is actually in concept so cool. And mm. then like you know. Mission Impossible 2 has lots of flaws, the biggest one being that it's not very good. But like the um the the way they build up that bad guy is actually it's it's something they haven't done in the other movies in that way, which um you know, maybe they shouldn't have done it in that way in the other movies. I think they've all learned from Mission Impossible 2 being hmm. widely considered the worst. But yeah. like you know, Mission Impossible 2 did that really well where you know, this one, Gabriel didn't really feel like anything. He felt like, I guess he was a force of nature, but like not in the way that like an Anton Chigurh is a, for- is a force of nature. He was just like, he, he was a character who, I don't know. It's yeah. weird even seeing him next to Pom Clementiev because both of them are basically nonverbal characters. Pom Clementiev actually doesn't say anything in this movie except for like one line and Isai Morales doesn't say anything of substance in this movie but Pom Clementiev is like so much more of a character than he is 
Gabriel's essentially just an exposition guy to build up the threat of the AI, but it just sounds lame after a while. It, it feels like a 50-year-old a talking about, like, like a cryptocurrency or something. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's how I would describe it. It's like, it's like, bro, you really don't understand what you're talking about. Like, he's everywhere. He's in the cloud. That's what it, that, that first meeting with all the old people, it just felt like, they were like, how we're going to insert as many AI cliche words that we can into this meeting as possible. Um, I think like... And, and just hope that people think the AI sounds cool and threatening. The thing that's disappointing to me about Gabriel in this movie is that he starts, he starts off seeming like a literal ghost, like an actual figment of people's imagination. And the moment he becomes real... To me, like the moment that he stabs that guy in Italy is also the moment that he kind of becomes non-threatening because everything after that moment is like, oh, the AI is feeding him information and paying him money and doing and telling him what's going to happen. But it's not like he literally is the AI. He's just a guy who I guess wants revenge on Ethan and also represents the AI. I literally don't understand. Like, that's another... I just never understood the plot. I don't know what Gabriel... Because it's like Gabriel's hired by the AI to get the key, but then he also wants to betray the AI by getting the key so that he can unlock the AI and take control of it or sell it to the highest bidder or something. And it's like... So the AI hired him to take... Like, the AI's calculated this, though. Like, it has to know Gabriel wants to kill it. Um... And it's like all these people were fighting over the key. I honestly, like, the MacGuffin didn't work either. I just didn't understand. Because we already know what it unlocks. It unlocks the sub, which apparently has the control of the AI or whatever. But so, like like you said at the start in your intro, it's like we, the audience knows it. The characters don't know it. Mm-hmm. But that's like a huge mistake in a movie. It's like you don't want to tell people what everyone is chasing until because then all the all this there's so many scenes where everyone's like what does the key do like there's that there's that scene at the climax where ethan's got his knife to gabriel's throat and gabriel's like don't kill me because i know it it opens and the audience doesn't care it's like we already know it it's useless ethan doesn't care like why does ethan care he just knows it like yeah go ahead sorry oh i was gonna say but i fully disagree that that's a that that's a faux pas to like show the audience what it unlocks right away. Because some of my favorite, some of my favorite, uh, not, not, I mean, movies as well, but some of my favorite like stories are like Agatha Christie murder mysteries where sure. She doesn't, she usually doesn't tell you exactly what, what the answer to the mystery is right away. Mm -hmm. But if at any point during the book, you think, you know what the mystery is, you're probably right. It's never really that, difficult to figure out but like the whole point of the book is the character one the characters figuring it out and also the characters being like 100 sure and that is what sort of like makes some intrigue for the audience like when people talk about movies having twists that they totally saw coming i'm like yes a good twist isn't that hard to figure out if a twist literally comes out of nowhere yeah, if a yeah. twist literally comes out of nowhere, that's a bad twist, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, so I think I think there is, like, a difference between this and the twist in Fallout. But 
this and Fallout both kind of tell you what's going on right from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. But then in this movie, I guess in this movie, what that's in service of now we want the characters to figure it out or we, or like it gives specific stakes and roles to each of the characters where like they know something in relation to this mystery that we've already figured out, but because they have, but because the characters don't know, like that makes them important, which, um, you know, doesn't always work, I guess, but like, that's, I don't think that that's inherently bad, but in fallout, the way that fallout does it is right at the beginning. They show Henry Cavill do something. Um, they, they show Henry Cavill. I think Ethan tells, I think Tom Cruise tells Henry Cavill to like stay put and then he doesn't and he like logs into his computer instead. And then the next scene we see with Henry Cavill is him talking to Angela Bassett about what he's just learned about Ethan, but lying through his teeth. And as the audience, we know that he's lying, but because it's such a, because it's at that point in the story, such a minor thing, there's a little bit of deniability to the point where at the very end of the movie, we actually, like you said earlier, don't really know if Henry Cavill is fully the bad guy until almost right at the end, because like we've seen him, we've outright seen him betray Ethan, but because there's like just a, but because it's like not something obviously huge, it's like, yeah. um, it, it leaves like a little bit of intrigue. It's like, there's one detail we as the audience don't know, which I mean, I guess, I guess is the difference between that and this movie. And I think that Fallout does that a lot better. Fallout does that really, really well. And I don't think this movie, well, this movie doesn't do that exact same thing, but it does sort of tell us the mystery in advance. And because it tells us the mystery much more explicitly in advance, it has to play with that in a very different way, which um, is very different, I guess. Well, I, I think it's diff like I wouldn't maybe I wouldn't have minded it as much if so much of the dialogue didn't revolve around what the key does, if that makes sense. Right. If it was like if it was because there was like a very long scene at the start with with the meeting between the the leaders of the spy agencies where they're they're basically outlining why everyone wants this key. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a very awkward scene, but it does a very heavy job of getting all that exposition out very quickly. Right. Right. So to have, like, for example, one of the cli climactic moments of the movie revolve around what the key actually does doesn't really work as much, especially, like, when you already, like, kind of, but like, really, you had a lot of setup for the telling the audience already, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if, if they were going to tell us, then they would have had to pace the action scenes better and not, and still kind of keep some doubt. Because you said, like, like, what you said with Henry Cavill, is, yeah, there was doubt. There was never really any doubt with the key. And it's an AI like, movie. Like, that's always the goal in an AI movie is they want to control the AI and not destroy it. I think, like, the the way that I... Um, I, I think the main... Maybe the issue with a lot of that is, like, we as the audience know what... We as the audience obviously know what the key does. And the characters don't. And the characters not knowing what the key does is important. But, yeah. like... So it's it's not a bad thing that one character can't kill another character because he's the only one who knows what the key does. Mm. But it's a bit of a problem when 
like he has five dialogue scenes before that saying, I know what the key does and you do not. It's like, we, we get that yeah, part actually. It's a little like, it's, yeah. I understand why he can't die, but he doesn't need yeah. to tell us that five times. Yeah, exactly. It just feels wasted. Yeah. Anyways, I, uh, just to wrap it up, I, I didn't like, it's actually probably like the worst, the worst movie I've seen this summer. And, uh, I, I, for the first time and literally before, like, from the first time I saw Mission Impossible, I've been excited to watch the next one. I've loved them all. I did not. I am not looking forward to Dead Reckoning Part Two. I like because this is like it was just so boring. I this movie at least the Flash was kind of short, you know, like and at least Indiana Jones had at the end you had that really weird shit with the Romans and the Nazis. <laughs> like, that was cool. It was, but this just had nothing going for it. it had no weird things, and I really don't want to watch part two in theaters and i can't even like even if the reviews are the reviews are great for this and i just feel like they were wrong this time but, yeah. so i I'm have right, one last question wrong. for you one, <laughs> so, one yeah. last question for you and uh it's a two-part question uh oh, the God. first part is kind of loaded so mm-hmm. how, of the part ones that you've seen this year what's the best one i actually think as a part one this was structured very well uh, I thought it ended at a very natural point. It had a climax. It had kind of character arcs. This was actually mm-hmm. framed as this was very much less of a part one compared to like Spider Verse. Like this felt like this was framed as two movies, and they had a plan. They had a plan for this. Um, so I'd say as a part one, this was a better structured movie, and it was Spider Verse followed a more similar structure, I guess. But for the part ones, I see Spider Man was still a lot better. I I never saw Fast. I didn't see Fast Furious, so I have no idea. Oh, okay. Well, like that. Um, I think you kind of answered the second part of that question, which was why. Oh, okay. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah I think. Do you um, agree or what do you think? Um, I'm not sure. I think I think I would agree that like the strongest the strongest part one, or I would say that the strongest part one this summer of the ones I saw was Spider Verse. But I think that these were, I kind of felt that both this and Spider-Verse were, I know a common complaint that I've heard is that like Spider-Verse wasn't a complete movie. And I don't think I agree with that. Like, I think that Spider-Verse and this were actually very complete movies. They just had like with full character arcs for some of their characters, not all, but like with full character arcs and like, an entire thing going on. They just very much had cliffhanger endings the way that previous movies in the series didn't like fallout ends open, I guess, but it really does not end on a cliffhanger and um, into the spider verse. Again, it's open enough, but absolutely no cliffhanger. Like it's very much in, it it very much finishes where um, I thought that across the spider verse, I do think like the story arc for Gwen is a full movie story arc and the story arc for even, even for Miguel too is like a full movie story arc. And I thought in this movie, like Palm Clementiev gets a full movie story arc. Tom Cruise gets the same kind of a full movie story arc that he usually does in mission impossible movies, which isn't like a lot of character development, but it's mission impossible levels of character development. Um, But like, I, I think they both, you know, they, so I feel like they are complete movies. They just 
leave the door much more open than like a movie with a vaguely open ending. That's fair. Um, okay. And like, I don't know, Fast and the Furious, uh, Fast X part one. Uh, I love it. Um, it is, I would say that is that of the three part ones that I've seen this summer. Uh, Fast X is probably the most, the closest to a not com- to like not a complete movie. Yeah, I've I've heard some. It's got, it's got the biggest cliffhanger of all of them. Uh, what would you rate this movie? I think, oh man, so like Fallout is probably a nine. And I would put this one at like maybe a seven and a half. I I really I think that like I think that Shea Wiggum and Palm Clementiev like make this movie for me. And I already liked everything else in it, but like those two specifically, I'm like, because of their performances in this, this is almost on par with Fallout in my mind. And then when I think about it, like Fallout has a lot going for it and is is definitely like that that's a nine. This one though, this one I'd say is like a seven and a half. I'd say Fallout's a nine to um this is <laughs> like a three, I think. Oh damn. That's yeah. much less. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh what what are we watching next week, Jeff? Do we know? I think it's open are we doing Oppenheimer, Barbie, back to back? I think it's Barbenheimer well? week. Barbenheimer? Yeah. All right. It's gonna be a long episode. Brian. Oh yeah. Uh, good good luck, Brian. Brian. Yeah. And uh what's the last word? AI.